This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, those two doors from that riddle that can either tell a truth or a lie. I don't remember what that's from. Maybe it's Labyrinth. I don't know. But they're here with me on the show. Brian Murray. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited to talk about comic books on episode 283 of I Read Comic Books. But I want to remind everybody, or maybe not remind everybody, but inform everyone who listens to the show. You know, we have a, an ongoing schedule that we plan out weeks and weeks in advance, sometimes even months in advance, depending. And um, I just got confirmation last week that we have two guest episodes coming up at the end of May. One with Erica Schultz, who's going to be running a Kickstarter campaign that's coming up, and another one with I guess, longtime friend of the show, Elsa Chartier is going to be coming back to talk about a whole bunch of really fun stuff. So look forward to that at the end of May. If you're curious about what's on the IRCB schedule and you want to know what's up, you can always get that by subscribing to our Patreon at the $5 tier. We give you our schedule update at the first of every month. It's really, really cool. IRCBpodcast.com slash Patreon. Anyways, enough with the plug-in. I just want to tell you guys about some cool stuff, but let's, let's get into things. Let's actually talk about comic books. I got to ask these questions. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Brian. Uh, I've been pretty good. I'm finally catching up on some of the backlog. I went back and read what amounts to the first volume. Uh, well, so it's the fourth volume of the total Life is Strange series, but it's okay. the first volume of the second arc, if that makes any sense. No, but continue. Yeah, <laughs> comics, folks. <laughs> Don't you love it? Uh, this this volume is starting to more explore like the the multiverse that was established early on in this this comic series. Okay. Uh, so basically, the way it works is our hero Max Caulfield jumped from her original universe into another one uh, where she thought that things would be better, and it's it's just weird. It's like she feels like she doesn't fit there, so she's trying to get back home, but she okay. doesn't really know how. So it's all about her trying to like find out how to do that exactly okay uh, she's also and, following a pirate themed punk band uh up the east coast okay okay so my, my limited my limited knowledge of this uh this series makes me think that this this starts this is starting to sound like doctor who style <laughs> like time travel stuff am i completely wrong here uh it, it's less doctor who um more quantum leap Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. I see. There's there there are a lot of fan theories about how exactly her her time travel powers work, whether okay. or not she's just like jumping into the mind of a Max Caulfield from a different dimension. Whenever she does that, it's it's curious. Interesting. It's I, time I, travel. So yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like it's it's time travel. So what are we trying to justify here? But okay. I mean, I, I'm it's it's. It's mind blowing to me that this the series has continued going because I feel like when it comes to video game tie in comic books, there's usually like one and done or if they are long, like a long running, it's because the series is also long running. Like the thing that comes to my mind is like Dragon Age or uh, or the Mass Effect comics, you know, and those the franchise just wants to keep going to their publishing stuff in the background. Um, whereas, I, I mean, like the Life is Strange series is like, is it done? Is I, I, I feel like there's only a few games in that series. Yeah, it's I would call it just complicated. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. There are several games, but they're not really connected. They're kind of like loosely inhabiting the same universe, but Okay. So it's like Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, but, all right, before I poke any more fun at, at uh, Life is Strange. Uh let's Kate, how are you? How have comic <laughs> books been? 
Um, I am good now. I had my uh, second dose on uh, two days ago. So yesterday I was just asleep. <laughs> nice. Um, but today is much better. Um, I read Artemis Fowl, uh, the graphic novel. Uh, this is the second adaptation of the book by uh, Eowyn Colfer. This mm-hmm. adaptation was written by Michael Marici and the art was by Stephen Gilpin. There's another graphic adaptation of this book and that one's by Andrew Duncan, Giovanni Regano, and Paolo Lamana. And I loved that one. I, I read that one a year ago and I had really high hopes for this one. And it's impossible for me not to compare them. Of course. That previous adaptation felt like it was based off the book by Eowyn Colfer. Well, this one feels like it's based off the the recent movie adaptation of, of the book, if you can follow that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I feel like there was a lot of content cut from this adaptation. Um, there's a lot of character development that happens, and I feel like a lot of that was pared down to just be a couple of details about each character, which really... I didn't realize how much um, how much these characters mattered to this story, but when it's just a few extra details about them, it really it really takes something away from the story. Um, and um, I noticed when they did the movie adaptation, they had cast a person of color for the character of Butler and then his sister, and then this graphic novel had those people just as white, and that kind of felt weird to me like if they were going to make this adaptation based off the movie why would they not mm-hmm. make the the art match that casting but maybe this was in production first i don't know um all this being said the overall plot line between the two adaptations is the same and this adaptation had a lot less dialogue in it so it was a faster read and it's entirely possible that if i hadn't read the Duncan adaptation before this one and i didn't have the comparison i'm i might have loved this one because i really gotcha. do just like adaptations from from novels so <laughs> you're you're the audience that that th- these comic books are created for is exactly. what i'm hearing <laughs> okay okay so, well, all i all i want to know about this adaptation though is was there a guy who eats dirt and then immediately poops it out and was that a prevalent part of the story it is just like the okay. Yes, he was in this in okay. this adaptation because he is the one that like tunnels into uh, a time field that nobody else can get into because he can come right. up from below. So he yep. was he had to be in the story because that's how they get right. into this thing. But well, I mean, I guess I mostly just wanted to make sure that he was a focal point and that they spent <laughs> a lot of time talking about how he could eat dirt and poop it out immediately. Yes, because for some reason that was such a major point in the book. Yes. Uh, that to the point where I wanted to stop reading it right away. <laughs> um, but he was only in the book for that one moment. And he was a lot more relevant in, in the novel and in the first graphic ad- graphic novel adaptation. And yeah, yeah. it just like, yes, he, he had to be in the book, but that's all that he was there for. And it just like, what happens to him after that? They, they took him out of prison to do this thing. Did they put him back mm-hmm. in prison? In this adaptation, you don't know. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I don't understand why a new graphic novel adaptation was made, but maybe we're at that stage where it's the they made the book, which made the movie, which made the new adaptation, because that's a thing that Hollywood does for some reason. They will adapt movies that are based off of books when they could have just skipped a step and adapted the original source material. So, yeah, 
Um, so are you saying that people should read this book, Kate? <laughs> um, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. You know, like I said, it was a, it was a much quicker read than the first adaptation. So if you're interested okay. in reading a version of Artemis Fowl that does not take forever like the novel in the first adaptation did, then yes, go ahead and, and check this one out. And then maybe if you liked okay. it, checked out, check out the other ones. Okay. So if you want to read this, but you want it over as quickly as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Artemis Fowl, the graphic novel is the way to go. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, I guess for me, I've been all over the place uh, just the last week um, reading all sorts of stuff as well as just being busy. I I got it into my head yesterday that I wanted to find my physical copy of the book that we're talking about today, my uh, lesbian experience with loneliness. And uh, that means that I went through all 17 boxes of books in order to find it. And I did find it in the second box. But then I was on, you know, I was had the momentum behind me, decided to go through every single one of the boxes and pull out the comics that I hadn't read that were packed away, um, at, which means that I filled up about a bookshelf's worth of books um, with books that I still need to read. So uh, I've got basically my to read list just sitting next to me at my desk, but I didn't read any of those books other than the one book I was looking for. Um, but I, I, as far as actual comics that I want to talk about before we get into today's topic, um, I did sit down and read way of X number one. This is Simon Spurrier with pencils and inks by Bob Quinn colors by Javier uh, Tartaglia and letters by Clayton Coles. Long story short, what if the X-Men had a religion and it wasn't, you know, Nightcrawler trying to preach Catholicism to people. It was like an X-Men mutant-based religion. And the focus of the story is around Nightcrawler, who is the very religious person in in the mutant world. Uh, I think there's a couple of other people that could have been a part of this story. Maybe they're going to show up eventually, but um, it looks like this story is going to be about Nightcrawler. And for some reason, uh, Dr. Nemesis, who is the least religious person you could ever think of because he's just an insane scientist who happens to be a mutant. Um, so yeah, th- but this is this is a really exciting book for me, um, if only because the last two pages were probably some of the most excited or probably was the most excited I've been about X-Men comics set- since Dawn of X happened because it ties back to my very, very ultimate favorite series. And if you I'm not going to spoil it and say what it is, but like if you if you've been following along and you're keeping track of everything, you would know what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, Simon Spurrier um, is a very interesting writer when it comes to the X-Men, particularly because his writing style does not feel like the rest of the X-Men books. It doesn't feel really melodramatic. It doesn't feel really epic and like like it like soap opera instead it feels like someone who gets to step aside and be a little bit snarky about things but also tell like a story about a character who has like a lot of heart and it's someone that we haven't really seen since the beginning of the dawn of x series so or the dawn of x like era of x-men so i'm really curious to see where spurrier takes this book given what Nightcrawler's whole focus is, is which is maybe he's going to make an X-Men, like a, a mutant religion, but that involves meeting some characters who are less than, I don't know, easy to work with when it comes to distinguishing like what the meaning of life is and stuff. So I'm very, very excited to see how this this book goes. The, the thing that I really liked um, that they touched on was the, the idea that in the mutant world right now, death means nothing. Um, because if you die, you can just be resurrected. But you're resurrected based off of the last quote unquote backup of your personality. So imagine you die today and then you get resurrected from a week ago. How much of your life has changed in a week, depending on the person, depending on the circumstance that can be a lot or it can be very, very little. So, um, 
you know, getting into those kind of like philosophical questions of like, what is life? Who is a person? Are you actually the same person you are when you're resurrected? Um, it's really interesting. And the fact that they're trying to tackle it in an X-Men book uh, with my with the, the coolest tie in ever, um, for me, at least, uh, is very, very exciting. So highly, highly recommend that book um, for me and just me. Uh, everyone else, you know, good luck. The, the other book I want to talk about really quick is The Many Deaths of Layla Starr. This was my pick of the week last week. Uh, this is Ram V with art by Felipe Andrade, color assist by Ines Amaro, and lettering by And World Design. I think this is the most intriguing book I've read in the last year by a long shot. Um, it feels big, but with a very, very focused story. It feels like uh, Ram V is going to be tackling a lot of big subjects uh, about life and death and what is the meaning of life. And it just so happened that I picked two books that are kind of focusing on the same thing. Um, but yeah, th- this this book really hooked me in that it feels a lot like an experimental animation movie, um, like a, a movie that has very elongated, strange features on characters and backgrounds see a, seem a bit too active for just being backgrounds. Um, everything is really sketchy, but also when it when it needs to be very very focused um a lot of ambiguity in the story itself around like how does everything work why is this the afterlife and the the outside the living world like run like a business and um what is the meaning of 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 life if there is no death like it's a, it's a very very interesting thing the thing i really liked about this is the way that layla our main character is portrayed when she's technically death because if you don't know this story is essentially about death becomes unnecessary anymore like the act the person of death personification i guess becomes unnecessary so they get sent to earth to live out life uh, and what does that mean it's it's very very uh interesting to say the least i don't know how else to describe it but ram v i think takes a really good stab at the, the the playfulness that you can have with someone who is lived for eternity and then suddenly has to live out a very short lifespan and because because comparison um and also gets to bring in a lot of eastern culture um in a way that makes the story really interesting and unique um compared to you know the typical western religion style of things where there's a heaven and there's a hell and instead there is just life and not life and yeah i think this is going to be a really good book i don't know if it's ongoing or limited series i didn't look into that but i really just wanted 10 more pages of this book but the ending was so perfect i think i would have been spoiled and it would have been ruined if there was more to it than that so yeah, I, I really love this. The pacing of the book was amazing. Um, every little bit and joke was really fun. And I just I just want more of this book. Can't wait to read more. Anyways, let's uh, I, I feel like I could go on and on about both of those books. And I'm really trying not to just rant for 10 minutes here. So uh, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about comic books that are coming out uh, very, very soon. This upcoming week, April 28th, comic books will be dropping. What are you both excited for this week? I'm going to start with Kate. I'm excited for a book called Sirens of the Norse Sea. The writers are Francois Ruskic and Gihef, I think it's pronounced. Um, the illustrators okay. are Marco Dominic and Philippe Braunas. And this is a battle between Vikings and sirens. And uh, they're fighting over the sea. And there's a mature audience's warning on the description for this. So it might just be violent battle. <laughs> But I do really appreciate that these like classics stories um, get adapted into the comics medium. And this feels like one of those classic stories, like like an Odyssey or an Iliad kind of story. And uh, volumes one and two are already up on Hoopla. So I think that this is just a collected version of those two volumes. But that means that I can uh, go ahead and just read part of this already. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'm glad that I, I noticed this in the in the releases for this week. 
And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to this manga that I found. It's called I'm the Cat's Lord's Manservants, Volume 1. And it's by uh, Rat Kitaguni. And it's about a second year high schooler that loses his parents and gets saddled with their debt. And he relocates to a manor where the owners offer to pay him for serving some cats, I guess. Um, And it just sounds like a a fun, goofy time. And this is the reason that I love manga. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm so glad that we've got that like I don't know what happened but I feel like my influence or the show's influence has gotten you into reading more and more manga and quite honestly you pick up some of the wildest shit I've ever heard of <laughs> as much as I'm like yeah I read a lot of manga I just read shonen books and then like the three non shonen books that I love Kate is actually branching out and trying the wild and crazy shit so like I'm glad that someone out there like that that, that that's happened and that you're you're more enriched because of that that's that's all because like what the hell is this book what the hell is this book Kate it's definitely um <laughs> Renee and you and then everybody on the discord kind of jumping on it on on manga as well so I I mostly just pick up the volume ones and of manga that I find at the library, but then once in a while I'll notice something on a list like this that I just have to I have to read it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Brian? What are you excited for this week? Uh, for this week, I'm looking forward to the Modern Frankenstein number one, which I believe is coming out from like Heavy Metal or somebody like that. Okay. Uh, this is written by Paul Cornell, uh, art by Emma Viaselli, who actually also works in the Life of Strange comic. Uh, colors by Pippa Boland and letters by Simon Boland. Basically, the premise of this book is uh, this young woman is a medical student and she is into this surgeon, James Frankenstein. Uh, nothing sinister about that, I'm sure. No, 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 no. And so it, it looks like it's going to be sort of a, a modern adaptation of the classic Frankenstein story, but with this sort of uh, romance intrigue angle to it gotcha i frankenstein was one of those books that we were assigned in high school and i loved and everybody else hated so i've always (laughs) felt borderline defensive of it because you know it's like it's the seminal work of science fiction Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but I, i i love this idea of what could a a frankenstein like figure do with access to modern technology because, you know, we saw what Victor Frankenstein could do in a castle with a lightning bolt. You know, what about a guy who has access to the the power grid? Oh, boy. Like actual, actual power instead of just having to hope on electric or lightning and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, I read a, a novel. Uh, Dean Koontz did like a Frankenstein thing back mm-hmm. in the day uh, that my mom bought me at some point uh so that that was that was interesting that was a whole lot of like cloning and stuff like that so i'm wondering if that will come up at all in this comic as well um yeah i don't know it's gonna be i think it's gonna be interesting i mean lots of opportunity for crazy science things i mean as soon as if they go the route of like nanotechnology brian you gotta close the book i'm just gonna say that if they start to go into like nanobots are bringing the body back to life i expect you to burn the comic that's all i'm saying (laughs) uh I, i make no promises okay okay um, well, for me this week, uh, I guess before I get into it, I want, want to remind folks that it is 2021. We're doing that wild, crazy thing. If you shout out the show on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, tag us. 
Uh, we could give you 20 bucks towards a comic gift card to Comixology, Midtown Comics, maybe even your local comic shop if they do that. So make sure to do that. Just spread the show. Get the word out there about I Read Comic Books. We'd really appreciate that. Um, and I guess before I go into my pick as well, I should say we've got some folks on Discord listening live, and they're amazing. And they've got some picks for this week. Particularly, Danny has a pick. His, his book that he's excited for is Berserker number 2. Not really surprised. I'm kind of excited to read this, but I'm not picking it up. Um, I think I can get it on Hoopla, so I'm just going to do that. I really don't feel like giving Matt Kent money right now because motherfucker made some nfts and i'm not about that i'm just not about that life so whatever i'm gonna check this out at some point but yeah danny that's danny's pick my pick for this week is cable number 10 this is by gary dugan with art by phil noto letters by joe sabino um if i'm not mistaken this book is ending at chapter or issue 12 so note or dugan is basically in like the final like let's get this thing wrapped up um there's a lot of questions that i have will this book involve kissing a stepford cuckoo or two probably will will it involve cable slightly awkwardly having a very nice but kind of weird relationship with his actual dad cyclops definitely um will we resolve the business with strife the cloned aged angrier version of cable we shall see and i think that's basically where this book is going we're going to get this strife stuff solved we're going to get stuff with this baby that's missing that cable's been looking for for 10 issues and it's taken him way too long to find it despite him being cable and kind of being like the best boy ever that's why he was created um in the first place but uh yeah i don't know i i really like this book and i really just want to see more phil noto drawing beautiful people constantly that's half the pull for this book um, but gary dugan is doing a fantastic job i think of making this really light-hearted action comedy using a character that is far too or treated to be far too serious all the time so yeah i really am excited to see how this book is going to wrap up so we're, we're getting close to the end and uh hopefully he'll be able to send this thing off and lead into probably a new cable number one is my guess but uh we'll see after that um yeah but i guess we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna be talking about our goodreads book of the month my lesbian experience with loneliness so we'll be back in just a second This week on I Read Comic Books, we are talking about our Goodreads Book of the Month for April. Uh, the theme for that month, for this past month, I guess, was memoir. So the book must be a memoir. That was pretty much the description we gave everyone. We had some pretty solid nominations, but despite all of the votes and everything, we came down to a book that I think I've nominated three times for various months. Um, and that is My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness by Nagata Kabi. Uh, you may also see this author listed as Kabi Nagata, which I think in the break we dis- discussed and said that's the westernized way of saying this author's name. Um, so we're going to probably try to refer to her as Nagata, but it may be all over the place. Just giving you folks a head- heads up. One other thing I do want to say is that our Goodreads group is actually at 787 members. So I'm curious to know if we can hit 1,000 members before episode 300. That's all I'm saying. If you're not a Goodreads member, you should get over there, join it, be a part of the book club, join the Goodreads reading challenge. It's it's a pretty solid place to be on the internet as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, 1,000 members to our Goodreads before August, September, whenever we're going to do episode 300. I think it's possible. And I think that you can help. So go there, ircbpodcast.com slash Goodreads. Enough with the plugging again. Every segment of this show is going to have a plug of some kind. I'm apologizing for that now. But Brian, Kate, let's talk about this book. Let's talk about my lesbian experience with romance, with loneliness. I don't know why I keep flipping with that name. What did you guys think of this book? Uh, Kate, Brian, whoever wants to start, um, 
you guys have read this. This is the first time for you guys reading this, right? Uh, I'd read it once before. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, or at least I'm fairly certain that I've read it once before. Because I don't remember where I would have gotten it from, but it was definitely all familiar. Okay. Okay. Well, what were your thoughts on your maybe second time reading through? Uh, I mean, I, I found it all very relatable. Like, mm-hmm. d- despite it, the title being my lesbian experience with loneliness, uh, there, there, there's a lot more about sort of a, a general anxiety and depression and uh, social ostracization uh, that the the author uh, talks about. So I think that while it it seems like it's going to be sort of laser focused and not really relatable to people who are not lonely lesbians, uh, I I think that it definitely appeals to a a much wider audience. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I think uh, the, the original title, I can't remember exactly what it translated from. I think it was like, I was so desperate that I called a lesbian escort service or something like that. And then the, the translated version for, you know, the Western market is my lesbian experience of loneliness, which I think is a, a solid title. But like the, the, the focus of the book really seems to be, you know, that uh, Nagata just struggling with depression and anxiety and, you know, coping with the ups and downs of, of just her depression in general, which she, you know, attributes to a ton of different things that I, I found to be super fascinating, super, super interesting and like insightful to read, to like understand the mind of someone who is going through these depressive swings um, where they, they're extremely productive and they're, you know, doing things and they feel really good about themselves. And then one thing kind of sets them off or a series of things kind of sets them off and they start to trip and fall down this to this like um, this valley of depression that then, you know, they feel like is um, insurmountable they can never get past and you know one thing kind of leads to another and they maybe can push themselves and and get out of that Um, whether that's like a an imbalance just in their in their head or if it's if it's something that is like an actual conscious thing you know it seems to be a mix of both for her and I I you know without her going into the details about it this is me kind of just implying or inferring some stuff that maybe I don't know the, the direct answers to, but nonetheless, like that's, that's the kind of way that I took it. I thought it was, it's really, really interesting to see someone be so raw and open about their, their life in this way. And hopefully like for some readers like me, you know, like give that insight to that type of feeling when, um, you know, others may not understand why people fall into these depressive states and how they are trying to cope with it, even though it's, it seems impossible to them. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I, I mean, I, I read this book a couple of times, so I have I have a lot of like already pre-analyzed thoughts about it. So, uh, Kate, I'm curious to hear what your take is on it. Yeah, I feel like I only related to small pieces of this book, like the realization that you have to do things for yourself instead of other people. Um, like in this case, it was I think her mother was was a big focus for her. Um, mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed it. I really liked the art style and I liked that. I mean, I tend to like memoirs in general. People putting themselves out there is um, something that I really admire. But Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I didn't relate to most of this book, but uh, yeah. (laughs) Gotcha. Honestly, I'm I'm happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) I related to way too much of this book. Yeah. I I did want to talk quite a bit about the art, though. I mean, I think that I I know that Nagata was is a a manga artist. I think that she mentions that she was trained. She went to school to be a manga artist. 
or at least so that she took some classes. But I think that the manga style really worked for this book. I mean, she talks about how she has, has trouble communicating with people. And so I imagine that like in real life, she wouldn't be very expressive. That's just kind of my assumption. Um, mm-hmm. But with the manga style, everything is kind of over the top. Um, like the expressions are very uh, exaggerated. And I think that that worked really well to to show the reader what she was feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the style, is, it's not quite like a chibi or anything like that, but it is much more like round and cartoony than you might get from like a like a shonen manga or something yeah yeah lots of lots of more like rounded everything compared to shonen which is very angular and and like action-packed i think like even when she was showing things that were a bit more exciting it was mostly done like the excitement was thrown shown just through like you know like action lines and and like people's expressions and things like that versus you know it's like shonen manga it's very much just like in your face you'll get a fist that's flying through you know a panel or something <laughs> not that there's no com- there is there's any combat or anything like that in this book but it's it's just like two very 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 different ways of of drawing like manga yeah um, i mean even in even in western comics you know you if co- the comparison between memoir style books and you know your typical superhero style book the drastic difference is typically like a 2d-ness of the memoir style versus the 3d-ness and action of a a, a uh, superhero book so that's true um, yeah. yeah but yeah. this one i like what i guess what i what i was focused on was like when she felt embarrassed her face would have the like the lines that go down it and her eyes are like i don't know drawn downwards almost Mm -hmm. um and then like when she was shaking you would see like movement lines around her just little little tiny movement lines even though her body was perfectly still that showed you that she was shaking or Mm -hmm. like the tears like all over her face (laughs) to show that she was nervous oh yeah yeah there was there's a lot of i mean like she she does a really good job of 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 keeping like a consistent style for herself which i you know the majority of the book is 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 pictures of her in different poses and different things and stuff and there's like this this cuteness to it that doesn't feel like over the top where i think she even says at some point when she was like drawing the manga because of course she's telling the story about the story that she created because of the thing that happened right and she goes into a point saying like, Oh, I need to make myself look a little bit cuter. And so like all of the stuff, it's like, like you said, it's not necessarily chibi, but it is kind of cutesy except for moments where like very real life things are happening. You know, like when she goes to the escort or when she goes to, uh, or the love hotel with the escort, or she's walking through the street or she's dealing with her parents or something. She looks more like a, like a person and less like a, like a cartoon. And even then though, there was still like this, this wonderful, like, uh, I guess relation in the way that she was drawn, like she still had the same head in all of those situations when she draws herself really small and like a chibi style, or she draws herself as like a full grown adult. I thought that was really interesting because I feel like usually when you see a transition from like a chibi style character to an adult, they typically have more defined like angular features like a person would um, versus just like the roundness of a face. And yeah, I don't, I, I, sorry, I'm flipping through the book and I'm like losing my tra- sense of thought because I, there's just so many beautiful little, little moments in this book that I just really love. So, um, somebody else talk, somebody else have something to say about this book, please. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess one other thing that I, I wanted to make sure I got to that she comes to is she realizes that she was kind of telling herself, like, if I could just 
get a job or if I could only move out, then things would be better. Then my life would turn around. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is that is such a common pitfall uh, for people with depression. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that as I was reading through it, I was like, oh, I've I've made those promises to myself before. You know, if if I can just get this one thing done, then I'll be happy. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. It's it's just not how it works, you know. Life life is is not about thing after thing. It's like the sum of all of these things. Right. Looking looking forward to one thing that you think is going to fix everything just kind of makes it feel worse when that doesn't work out. And I think that she goes uh she she goes into that really well in this book. Um I'm trying to remember the exact circumstances. But I think it was something like after her first experience with the escort service, kind of realizing like, oh, no, that didn't fix everything and sort of spiraling about it for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's like there's a lot of bits that she has to she comes to terms with throughout the book, right, where she, you know, she worked this job, she had all this money and she was like, well, now I'm fine. Now I can do this stuff. But there was always some other expectation, too, because I think there was there the one side of it, which was if only I could do this, then my life would be better. But then, you know, it seemed like every time she did like do one of those things or she got over some hump, there was always some more expectation because she was, you know, she spends a lot of the book struggling with like the expectations of her parents who want her to do X, Y and Z and live like a life of getting a salary job and being able to move out, finding a husband or, you know, finding a partner. And, um, you know, she's, she's constantly feeling like, well, if I can't live up to that, then what's the point of anything that I'm doing, you know? And I think that that kind of sets her off and to, to immediately just kind of question and hate everything that she's doing because she doesn't ever see how any of the things that she's doing could amount to one of those expectations being fulfilled from her parents. And, you know, even when she does get close to those things, there's always another thing that needs to be done. And, you know, there isn't some finish line that needs to be crossed for her. Like you said, Brian, like life is a a series of things that like it's never ending, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think that in her mind, at least in the beginning of the book, she saw it as like, as long if as soon as I can get these things done, then my life will be fine. But like new problems are always going to spring up or new things, new expectations are always going to spring up because we as people are constantly growing and, and you know should be constantly growing, I guess. And, um, you know, it's that that creates challenges in itself constantly over and over and over as we as we get older. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to see her paint that and come to the realization through the story that like she had all these problems and she couldn't figure out why, but she knew that these are the things she needed to do. And then by the end of the book, you know, she says, well, if only I had stopped thinking that I needed to do those things, I would have had given myself a little bit more breathing room to actually live my life and be happy. You know? Yeah. She depicts, uh, the, the version of her that wants to make her parents happy as a separate entity a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting of having like, you've got this, this little version of yourself in your head telling you what to do. And, you know, everything has to be about, you know, making your parents happy or making your boss happy or making society happy. And if you're only listening to that voice, then you're not listening to the voice that's telling you what will make you happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, one of the other things I I did want to talk about in in that regard is, you know, that all of this kind of spins back to her, you know, focus on, and I don't think she straight up calls it like having depression or being anxious or anything like that. I think she talks about being depressed or talks about having anxiety about things. Um, But there's never any talk about, you know, I think it may be once or twice she talks about going to a therapist like very early on in the book. And um, 
when I don't remember if she talks about taking, you know, any kind of medication for anything that she has, but or anything she's dealing with. But I think that there was a there was a moment where she she talked about the the way that her depression kind of hits her and how a lot of people see it as her being lazy. Mm-hmm. Like there's one page in particular where she says, you know, so most people can't tell the difference between I can't try and I can't do anything and I'm being lazy. <laughs> and I, I I don't know what it was, but the first time I read that like under like her explaining this idea of like the paralysis of depression or or you know what she's dealing with um and how it it can appear to most people like you don't want to do something or you don't care you don't want to do anything when it's actually like a a mental like paralysis of not being able to do anything because of you know all of these circumstances and things going on in your head i really just like clicked in my head about oh so this is why you know people say i get i wake up in the morning i can't get out of bed it's it's not a matter of like you're lazy because you know the go-to <laughs> horrible response is well just get up just get out of bed like it's so easy you know and i think when you're struggling with like severe depression like it seems like she is in this book that that paralysis is the core factor it's the you're so so stuck inside of this um inside of your head with all of these 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 things that it's like you are physically paralyzed because of it and i never for some reason, I never considered that, never thought of that, the way that your mind could really weigh your whole body down like that. And to see her portrayed in this book really like clicked in my head, which gave me like a super appreciation for this book. Like, Because I think as you read through the entire story from beginning to end, I feel like her, the way that she depicts a lot of things really helps clear up, I think, some for some people like myself included, like the confusion behind why folks who have severe depression or severe anxiety can and cannot do things and how they swing between the ability to do things and not being able to do things because of the circumstances and that they live in and how some things can set them off and set them down these mental paths and chains that just put them in positions where they're back to square one where they can't do anything and how little bits of drive and just small moments where you have enough energy to do things can actually get you back on track. It's just, it's very hard to come by those times. And when it's, I think that the moral of the story at the end of this is that she tried to grasp on and find something that she could consistently do that could hopefully bring her up out of these, like these valleys of depression, like I said before, um, where she could be a little bit more energetic and she could have a little bit more drive and she could find something that she could latch onto that made her feel good consistently. Um, and I think like the 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 thing to come out of that is is you know just understanding that for a lot of people that's that's not a problem. People can a lot of people can find many things that make them feel good, whereas some people have this problem where they they bear put so much weight on themselves because of either their parents or because of life in general, or just a series of unfortunate events, and they can't find something that actually can make them feel good, and they fall into these these wells of of depression. So. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that book for this reason, which is why I've been nominating it nonstop for like the last three years on Goodreads. <laughs> I did want to talk about how she mentions certain things in the book, but she really doesn't go into them. Like she really does just focus on how she feels and how things are impacting her in the moment. Mm-hmm. For example, she she talks about her mother and how she feels like she has to constantly make the people in her life happy or at least not disappointed. Mm-hmm. And but she really doesn't get into who those people are or her relationship with them. We don't really see what their personalities are like. And even their, the way that they're drawn is even very subdued, just, just um, straight, like straight basic expressions. Like even when she does uh, meet with the sex worker, she draws a sex worker in a lot more um, of, of a happier um, 
uh, a happier way. Like, like she's a person mm-hmm. as opposed to the mm-hmm. way that she draws her parents. They're just, they're just faces in this book basically. And I don't yeah, know if maybe that was on purpose to avoid like hurting her family as much as possible when this book came out. But in reading them just in terms of like a storytelling perspective, they felt very empty. And then the other thing that I felt was was treated similarly was that she talks about having scars in her arms from cutting and then having a bald spot from pulling on her hair, but we don't actually see her do any of those things. Yeah. I, I'm, I, uh, my takeaway from at least what it came to her parents is I think that like, you know, at one point in the book, she, she talks about like, she says, I hate my mom. And yet she goes on later in the book to say that she needs her mom and she loves her to the point where it was, it's a problem. Like she's so clingy, like a child, even though she's 28 years old, which I thought is like a, is a really interesting thing. And I think to your point, she probably was trying not to, to fully out her parents or be completely rude to them. You know, like she, I think she wrote this book under a pen name. Um, and so there's, there's a bit of like distance between her real life and this actual book, but you know, if I'm not mistaken, the subsequent volumes or not subsequent volumes, but the the sister series to this that continues kind of her story of of life and how she's dealing with things. The my solo exchange diary kind of goes a little bit more into her relationship with her parents because obviously this this book came out and it kind of lays a lot of stuff on the table, even if it's not you know direct. It's still like her parents know what she's talking about, you know, when they see this um, and. So I think she intentionally left that out because the story wasn't so much about her relationship with her parents so much as her relationship to her own depression and I think her relationship to sex, um, which is why that my my is my guess why it's not completely included. But I you know her parents obviously play a huge role and I think that her past you know issues with cutting and things like that obviously played a huge role into this story. But I don't think that was the focus of this book, if that makes any sense, you know. Yeah, just why I'm guessing she didn't go to, go into it as much. Sorry, there there are things that that inform the story, but they're not really what the story's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I one thing that I think is interesting about the way her parents are depicted is that it is very simplified, and I think that for a lot of people, you know, growing up, we tend to view our parents through a very simplistic lens. So I think it it certainly makes sense that in her mind, her parents are just one thing, and that is parent so i think it's interesting Mm -hmm. to reflect that by not really drawing them with distinct features in the book Mm -hmm. and i think you know more so than herself she's probably trying to keep them as ambiguous as possible right um you know like if your mother has like or a father has like a distinct mark on their face or like a mole or something like that you're not going to want to draw that because god forbid someone you know the crazy anime or manga readers out there be like let's look for an old lady that's got a mole on her right cheek you know like that would be a bit too much so especially when you're not being exactly complimentary towards them yeah yeah but yeah I, i think to your point kate like it does seem like the bald spot and her having, you know, these scars on her arms and legs and stuff was something that was probably going on during the time of the story. So, I, Cause I think that's what you were getting at there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I think that again, like they are super, they're like super relevant to the story. But again, I think that like if she had spent a bunch of time talking about, well, here's how I pulled out my hair. It's kind of like getting, just getting away from like what I think the central focus is. Yeah. Um, even if that part does is really, really important to what was going on with her because, you know, it all bled back into this, this problem of 
her not having confidence and thinking, oh, do they even, you know, will escorts even go out with someone who looks like me? You know, um, just adds to her her like lack of confidence in herself. Yeah. I mean, there there are, I'm sure there are plenty of stories where we can get into the, the nitty gritty of that. And, I, and I'm not sure if the Solo Exchange Diary book goes into it at all, too, because that book is kind of all over the place is like a flashback and talking about her as a teenager, as well as in the present day and how she's dealing with her life now. So it, maybe there's more of that there. Um, if you want more background. Did you guys, you guys read through the whole book, so you read like the bonus story and stuff. What did you guys think of like kind of the the focal crux of this book, which is her going out and eventually seeing a, an escort? Um, and then later in the bonus story at the end of the volume that I read, she went and saw another escort. Um, like those, those scenes are super crucial to the story because she spends a lot of the book building up the confidence to even go do it. And then when she goes do, goes and finally does it, it seems like it was very awkward and I couldn't tell if she had like a negative experience or a positive experience. And even though she went a second time, I don't know, like, was, was she actually getting something out of it? That was kind of like my, my question and not like in a sexual way, but like a, a, in a way that was alleviating some of the worry and stress that she had about sex in general, being someone who was 28 years old, hadn't had sex, hadn't kissed anybody, you know, all of that. I don't know. What were your guys' thoughts on that? So I think that it, it doesn't solve any of her problems. But I think that in in reflecting on the experiences, it does help her to more thoroughly wrap her head around like what what's going on in her head. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's an example of, of her again setting all these expectations for herself. And then if the experience does not meet those expectations, she thinks she must be doing something wrong. And then, you know, as, as soon as you have that thought, it's super easy to just spiral downward on it Mm -hmm. kate i don't know if you had any any thoughts on that um i am mostly curious like where her life goes after the close of the book which is maybe something that we do see in solar exchange diary like volume two Mm -hmm. maybe i haven't read the rest of her work so i don't know so it, it does make me curious as to like how how going to an escort again reflects the changes that she's made in her personal life elsewhere Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which obviously we we haven't seen yet but it does make me want to read more of her stuff so yeah i mean i as far as i know i think there's maybe two or three or four i haven't kept up on the the solo exchange diary books but um they 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 are pretty good i will say like the the first volume especially is the one of the one that i read it's it's very good i have the second one sitting on my shelf but yeah i did want to bring up one other thing though um one of the Goodreads folks had a had a comment that I thought was interesting um, from Adam. He said, to call a book brave feels over the top in most instances, but there is a level of bravery in putting your most embarrassing and personal details in a book that unequivocally addresses your mental health and struggles. To say, I don't care what others, others say and how my family feels is a pretty big step and victory for anyone, but Nagata spends so many years utterly frozen in place and time over her parents' approval that this is a momentous victory. And I, I totally agree with what Adam says here. I think that just the publishing of this book like you know as the story goes on she's she's telling up she's talking about how she put this comic on the internet and how people reacted really positively to it um and you know i think that her eventually come to the realization that she wants to tell stories about manga she wants to and she can only tell stories about her life kind of leads this this really interesting like 
how much is there for her to tell and also like is she, it kind of begs the question of like is she doing things just for the sake of the story which she even admits in the book you know if anything i can write a story and you know a manga story about this but i feel like yeah there, there's definitely things that she starts to unearth as the story goes on that is like I don't think I could tell a story about my family like this. Like, <laughs> I don't think I could admit like some of the stuff that she did, like, you know, where she felt almost sexual arousal, you know, talking to her, you know, being close to her mother and stuff like that, which is a, it's a whole, whole thing. Right. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's wild to see it, but just to have someone do something like this is, is incredibly brave. Like Adam said, and I hope that like it did give her some positive reinforcement. And I think that, you know, seeing that there are subsequent stories beyond this, I think is, is telling. Yeah, and I think she does. She mentioned something in the book. Uh, the line is, I have to write it down before my brain dresses it up as something else or dresses mm-hmm. it up into something else. And so I think that like writing down your thoughts, even even if you don't publish them anywhere, uh, is, is still going to help because it allows you to contextualize these thoughts instead of just sort of letting them fly around your head like bats. You can... Mm-hmm you could actually pin them down and when you come back to them later, they'll still be the same instead of the way, you know, your, your thoughts and memories tend to shift over time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that, that was something that I, I, you know, I wish that I could take that advice myself (laughs) and maybe I should after my like third or fourth read of this book, I should actually like think, you know, writing things down will actually help me process things a little bit better. Because I think everybody could take that advice, at least to a certain extent. Oh, the one other thing I did want to touch on is I think my favorite moment in the whole book is when she's going for the job interviews and she's talking to the people and they're like, well, what do you actually want to do? And she says, well, I just want to draw manga. And she's, you know, she talks about how she felt so bad about wasting people's time. Like she went to this interview for a job, but then she ended up talking about something else. But then there's the guy who came out of the like wherever she was interviewing and he's like, good luck doing manga. And he like fist pumped her. And she talked about it for like two pages. I was like, what a nice little thing. It's it's so yeah. it's so funny to see like such little small gestures by somebody going so far, you know, for somebody else. Um, when you just do a nice thing for somebody that it can literally make their day or their whole week. Um, I, I really like that moment in this book. I just want to make sure I touched on it before we ended the episode. No, I really liked it too. And I I am in no way a person that interviews other people, but I've sat in on other interviews and like... Mm-hmm being a person that's considering hiring somebody else it's like a weirdly intimate setting um oh, yeah and so like i kind of get it from both points of view that you think that if you don't get a job you, you're just wasting their time but also like mm-hmm. if i think that, that i'm that i'm listening to somebody else describe what they want to do and it's not this or whatever we're interviewing for then i want them to go do the thing that they want to do and it's not a waste <laughs> of my time like it's cool right well i don't know i i again i really like this book i nominated a bunch and i i'm I'm glad that we were able to read it so i guess do you guys have any final thoughts on this book anything we haven't touched on that you want to get through before we we wrap up here no i mean there there, there was one point uh when nagata is talking about her depression and trying to use anger at herself as a motivating force Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm not a therapist i'm not a a mental health professional uh i would say probably don't try to do that uh (laughs) if you it's it it feels like you're using your own self-loathing to better yourself but all you're really doing is uh 
teaching yourself to be mean to yourself because that's the only way you get stuff done. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so, I feel like in some just ways, a caution there. Yeah, and in some ways, it may even like reinforce those negative things that you know. Because as soon as you say that about yourself in your head, you know, and somebody else happens to say something even remotely close, you go, well, then it's fucking true, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, don't do that. I agree with Brian there. Okay, not professionals. We're not giving you uh, medical advice or anything, but. Yeah. Just don't talk bad about yourself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. I guess. Um, yeah, I know. Kate, you said you're probably going to try to maybe read this. I hope, you know, everybody who reads this enjoyed it. And if you didn't, let us know make your reviews on goodreads hurt but um or positively i don't know um but i guess i guess that's that's kind of i don't know kate if you had any last thoughts as well i i'll give you a chance to speak as well um no i feel like i i said everything that i all of my all of my thoughts on this book i have said (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay well cool well you know thanks guys for for joining us for joining me on this episode i'm really excited that we got to read this book because it's 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 one of my faves um but remember you can always follow us on twitter you can follow kate at kate elfier you can follow brian at brian head and you can follow me at mike rappin and ircb podcast on twitter and instagram where we try to post pretty regularly just just because and retweet a lot of things that we think deserve attention this post first aired on patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons you can join there today for exclusive series like the IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, Giant Days of Our Lives, and so much more. You can do that over at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help us spread the word about IRCB. Join our Discord community to chat comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record at ircbpodcast.com slash discord. And it would help us a lot if you tell your friends or your local comic shop about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is a very cool guy who edits the show and, you know, just a fun person to talk to. I want to say thanks to Brian and Kate for being on this episode. Thanks to Danny and Matt and Aaron and the handful of other people that were in the discord listening live we appreciate you and we appreciate everyone out there who listens to the show in general we you know you guys are amazing so until next time comics are good and so are you <laughs>